Chapter Nineteen, Part Two of Desperate Remedies. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Shi Pingming. Desperate Remedies by Thomas Hardy. Chapter Nineteen: The Events of a Day and Night, Part Two. Of the remainder of the colloquy one fact alone was plain to anne and that only inductively that miss aldercliffe from what he had revealed to her was going to scheme body and soul on manston's behalf miss aldercliffe seemed now to have no further reason for remaining yet she lingered a while as if loath to leave him when finally the crestfallen and agitated lady made preparations for departure and quickly inserted the boat ran round to the entrance archway and down the steps into the park here she stood close to the trunk of a huge lime tree which absorbed her dark outline into its own in a few minutes she saw manston with miss aldercliffe leaning on his arm cross the glade before her and proceed in the direction of the house she watched them ascend the rise and advance as two black spots towards the mansion the appearance of an oblong space of light in the dark mass of walls denoted that the door was opened miss aldercliffe's outline became visible upon it the door shut her in and all was darkness again the form of manston returning alone arose from the gloom and passed by anne in her hiding-place waiting outside a quarter of an hour longer that no suspicion of any kind might be excited anne returned to the old manor-house four from eight to eleven o'clock p m manston was very friendly that evening it was evident to her now that she was behind the scenes that he was making desperate efforts to disguise the real state of his mind her terror of him did not decrease they sat down to supper manston still talking cheerfully but what is keener than the eye of a mistrustful woman a man's cunning is to it as was the armour of sisera to the thin tent nail she found in spite of his adroitness that he was attempting something more than a disguise of his feeling he was trying to distract her attention that he might be unobserved in some special movement of his hands what a moment it was for her then the whole surface of her body became attentive she allowed him no chance whatever we know the duplicated condition at such times when the existence divides itself into two and the ostensibly innocent chatterer stands in front like another person to hide the timorous spy manston played the same game but more palpably the meal was nearly over when he seemed possessed of a new idea of how his object might be accomplished he tilted back his chair with a reflective air and looked steadily at the clock standing against the wall opposite to him he said sententiously 
few faces are capable of expressing more by dumb show than the face of a clock you may see in it every variety of incentive from the softest seductions to negligence to the strongest hints for action well in what way she inquired his drift was as yet quite unintelligible to her why for instance look at the cold methodical unromantic business-like air of all the right-angled positions of the hands they make a man set about work in spite of himself then look at the piquant shyness of its face when the two hands are over each other several attitudes imply make ready the make ready of ten minutes to one differs from the make ready of ten minutes to twelve as youth differs from age upward and onward says twenty-five minutes to eleven midday or midnight expresses distinctly it is done you surely have noticed that yes i have he continued with affected quaintness the easy dash of ten minutes past seven the rakish recklessness of a quarter past the drooping weariness of twenty-five minutes past must have been observed by everybody whatever amount of truth there may be there is a good deal of imagination in your fancy she said he still contemplated the clock then again the general finish of the face has a great effect upon the eye this old-fashioned brass-faced one we have here with its arched top half-moon slit for the day of the month and the ship rocking at the upper part impresses me with the notion of its being an old cynic elevating his brows whose thoughts can be seen wavering between good and evil a thought now enlightened her the clock was behind her and he wanted to get her back turned she dreaded turning yet not to excite his suspicion she was on her guard she quickly looked behind her at the clock as he spoke recovering her old position again instantly the time had not been long enough for any action whatever on his part ah he casually remarked and at the same minute began to pour her out a glass of wine speaking of the clock has reminded me that it must nearly want winding up remember that it is wound to-night suppose you do it at once my dear there was no possible way of evading the act she resolutely turned to perform the operation anything was better than that he should suspect her it was an old-fashioned eight-day clock of workmanship suited to the rest of the antique furniture that manston had collected there and ground heavily during winding and had given up all idea of being able to watch him during the interval and the noise of the wheels prevented her learning anything by her ears but as she wound she caught sight of his shadow on the wall at her right hand what was he doing he was in the very act of pouring something into her glass of wine he had completed the manoeuvre before she had done winding she methodically closed the clock-case and turned round again 
when she faced him he was sitting in his chair as before she had risen in the familiar scene which has hitherto been pleasant it is difficult to realize that an added condition which does not alter its aspect can have made it terrible the woman thought that his action must have been prompted by no other intent than that of poisoning her and yet she could not instantly put on a fear of her position and before she had grasped these consequences another supposition served to make her regard the first as unlikely if not absurd it was the act of a madman to take her life in a manner so easy of discovery unless there were far more reason for the crime than any that manston could possibly have was it not merely his intention in tampering with her wine to make her sleep soundly that night this was in harmony with her original suspicion that he intended secretly to abscond at any rate he was going to set about some stealthy proceeding as to which she was to be kept in utter darkness the difficulty now was to avoid drinking the wine by means of one pretext and another she put off taking her glass for nearly five minutes but he eyed her too frequently to allow her to throw the potion under the grate it became necessary to take one sip this she did and found an opportunity of absorbing it in her handkerchief plainly he had no idea of her countermoves the scheme seemed to him in proper train and he turned to poke out the fire she instantly seized the glass and poured its contents down her bosom when he faced round again she was holding the glass to her lips empty in due course he locked the doors and saw that the shutters were fastened she attended to a few closing details of housewifery and a few minutes later they retired for the night five from eleven o'clock to midnight when manston was persuaded by the feigned heaviness of her breathing that anne seaway was asleep he softly arose and dressed himself in the gloom with ears strained to their utmost she heard him complete this operation then he took something from his pocket put it in the drawer of the dressing-table went to the door and down the stairs she glided out of the bed and looked in the drawer he had only restored to his place a small file she had seen there before it was labelled batley's solution of opium she felt relieved that her life had not been attempted that was to have been her sleeping draught no time was to be lost if she meant to be a match for him she followed him in her nightdress when she reached the foot of the staircase he was in the office and had closed the door under which a faint gleam showed that he had obtained a light she crept to the door but could not venture to open it however slightly placing her ear to the panel she could hear him tearing up papers of some sort and a brighter and quivering ray of light coming from the threshold an instant later implied that he was burning them by the slight noise of his footsteps on the uncarpeted floor 
she at length imagined that he was approaching the door she flitted upstairs again and crept into bed manston returned to the bedroom close upon her heels and entered it again without a light standing motionless for an instant to assure himself that she still slept he went to the drawer in which their ready money was kept and removed the casket that contained it ansier distinctly caught the rustle of notes and the chink of the gold as he handled it some he placed in his pocket some he returned to its place he stood thinking as it were weighing a possibility while lingering thus he noticed the reflected image of his own face in the glass pale and sceptre-like in its indistinctness the sight seemed to be the feather which turned the balance of indecision he drew a heavy breath retired from the room and passed downstairs she heard him unbar the back door and go out into the yard feeling safe in the conclusion that he did not intend to return to the bedroom again she arose and hastily dressed herself on going to the door of the apartment she found that he had locked it behind him a precaution it can be no more she muttered yet she was all the more perplexed and excited on this account had he been going to leave home immediately he would scarcely have taken the trouble to lock her in holding the belief that she was in a drugged sleep the lock shot into a mortise so that there was no possibility of her pushing back the bolt how should she follow him easily an inner closet opened from the bedroom it was large and had some time heretofore been used as a dressing or bathroom but had been found inconvenient from having no other outlet to the landing the window of this little room looked out upon the roof of the porch which was flat and covered with lead and took a pillow from the bed gently opened the casement of the inner room and stepped forth on the flat there leaning over the edge of the small parapet that ornamented the porch she dropped the pillow upon the gravel path and let herself down over the parapet by her hands till her toes swung about two feet from the ground from this position she adroitly alighted upon the pillow and stood in the path since she had come indoors from a walk in the early part of the evening the moon had risen but the thick clouds overspreading the whole landscape rendered the dim light pervasive and grey it appeared as an attribute of the air and crept round to the back of the house listening intently the steward had had at least ten minutes start of her she had waited here whilst one might count fifty when she heard a movement in the outhouse a fragment once attached to the main building this outhouse was partitioned into an outer and an inner room which had been a kitchen and a scullery before the connecting erections were pulled down but they were now used respectively as a brewhouse and workshop 
the only means of access to the latter being through the brewhouse the outer door of this first apartment was usually fastened by a padlock on the exterior it was now closed but not fastened manston was evidently in the outhouse she slightly moved the door the interior of the brewhouse was wrapped in gloom but a streak of light fell towards her in a line across the floor from the inner or workshop door which was not quite closed this light was unexpected none having been visible through hole or crevice glancing in the woman found that he had placed cloth and mats at the various apertures and hung a sack at the window to prevent the egress of a single ray she could also perceive from where she stood that the bar of light fell across the brewing copper just outside the inner door and that upon it lay the key of her bedroom the illuminated interior of the workshop was also partly visible from her position through the two half-open doors manston was engaged in emptying a large cupboard of the tools gaily pots and old iron it contained when it was quite cleared he took a chisel and with it began to withdraw the hooks and shoulder nails holding the cupboard to the wall all these being loosened he extended his arms lifted the cupboard bodily from the brackets under it and deposited it on the floor beside him that portion of the wall which had been screened by the cupboard was now laid bare this it appeared had been plastered more recently than the bulk of the outhouse manston loosened the plaster with some kind of tool flinging the pieces into a basket as they fell having now stripped clear about two feet area of wall he inserted a crowbar between the joints of the bricks beneath softly wriggling it until several were loosened there was now disclosed the mouth of an old oven which was apparently contrived in the thickness of the wall and having fallen into disuse had been closed up with bricks in this manner it was formed after the simple old-fashioned plan of oven building a mere oblate cavity without a flue manson now stretched his arm into the oven dragged forth a heavy weight of great bulk and let it slide to the ground the woman who watched him could see the object plainly it was a common corn sack nearly full and was tied at the mouth in the usual way the steward had once or twice started up as if he had heard sounds and his motions now became more cat-like still on a sudden he put out the light and had made no noise yet a foreign noise of some kind had certainly been made in the intervening portion of the house she heard it one of the rats she thought he seemed soon to recover from his alarm but changed his tactics completely he did not light his candle going on with his work in the dark she had only sounds to go by now and judging as well as she could from these he was piling up the bricks which closed the oven's mouth 
as they had been before he disturbed them the query that had not left her brain all the interval of her inspection how should she get back into her bedroom again now received a solution whilst he was replacing the cupboard she would glide across the brewhouse take the key from the top of the copper run upstairs unlock the door and bring back the key again if he returned to bed which was unlikely he would think the lock had failed to catch in the staple this thought and intention occupying such length of words flashed upon her in an instant and hardly disturbed her strong curiosity to stay and learn the meaning of his actions in the workshop slipping sideways through the first door and closing it behind her she advanced into the darkness towards the second making every individual footfall with the greatest care lest the fragments of rubbish on the floor should crackle beneath her tread she soon stood close by the copper and not more than a foot from the door of the room occupied by manston himself from which position she could distinctly hear him breathe between each exertion although it was far too dark to discern anything of him to secure the key of her chamber was her first anxiety and accordingly she cautiously reached out with her hand to where it lay instead of touching it her fingers came in contact with the boot of a human being she drooped faint in a cold sweat it was the foot either of a man or woman standing on the brewing copper where the key had lain a warm foot covered with a polished boot the startling discovery so terrified her that she could hardly repress a sound she withdrew her hand with a motion like the flight of an arrow the touch was so light that the leather seemed to have been thick enough to keep the owner of the foot in entire ignorance of it and the noise of manston's scraping might have been quite sufficient to drown the sly rustle of her dress the person was obviously not the steward he was still busy it was somebody who since the light had been extinguished had taken advantage of the gloom to come from some dark recess in the brewhouse and stand upon the brickwork of the copper the fear which had at first paralyzed her lessened with the birth of a sense that fear now was utter failure she was in a desperate position and must abide by the consequences the motionless person on the copper was equally with manston quite unconscious of her proximity and she ventured to advance her hand again feeling behind the feet till she found the key on its return to her side her finger-tip skimmed the lower verge of a trousers leg it was a man then who stood there to go to the door just at this time was impolitic and she shrank back into an inner corner to wait the comparative security from discovery that her new position ensured resuscitated reason a little and empowered her to form some logical inferences one the man who stood on the copper had taken advantage of the darkness to get there 
as she had to enter two the man must have been hidden in the outhouse before she had reached the door three he must be watching manston with much calculation and system and for purpose of his own she could now tell by the noises that manston had completed his re-erection of the cupboard she heard him replacing the articles it had contained bottle by bottle tool by tool after which he came into the brewhouse went to the window and pulled down the cloth covering it but the window being rather small this unveiling scarcely relieved the darkness of the interior he returned to the workshop hoisted something to his back by a jerk and felt about the room for some other article having found it he emerged from the inner door crossed the brewhouse and went into the yard directly he stepped out she could see his outline by the light of the clouded and weakly moon the sack was slung at his back and in his hand he carried a spade Anne now waited in her corner in breathless suspense for the proceedings of the other man in about half a minute she heard him descend from the copper and then the square opening of the doorway showed the outline of this other watcher passing through it likewise the form was that of a broad-shouldered man enveloped in a long coat he vanished after the steward the woman vented a sigh of relief and moved forward to follow simultaneously she discovered that the watcher whose foot she had touched was in his turn watched and followed also it was by one of her own sex and seaway shrank backward again the unknown woman came forward from the further side of the yard and pondered a while in hesitation tall dark and closely wrapped she stood up from the earth like a cypress she moved crossed the yard without producing the slightest disturbance by her footsteps and went in the direction the others had taken and waited yet another minute then in her turn noiselessly followed the last woman but so impressed was she with the sensation of people in hiding that in coming out of the yard she turned her head to see if any person were following her in the same way nobody was visible but she discerned standing behind the angle of the stable manston's horse and gig ready harnessed he did intend to fly after all then she thought he must have placed the horse in readiness in the interval between his leaving the house and her exit by the window however there was not time to weigh this branch of the night's event she turned about again and continued on the trail of the other three six from midnight to half-past one a m intentness pervaded everything night herself seemed to have become a watcher the four persons proceeded across the glade and into the park plantation at equidistances of about seventy yards here the ground completely overhung by the foliage was coated with a thick moss which was as soft as velvet beneath their feet 
the first watcher that is the man walking immediately behind manston now fell back when manston's housekeeper knowing the ground pretty well dived circuitously among the trees and got directly behind the steward who encumbered with his load had proceeded but slowly the other woman seemed now to be about opposite to anne or a little in advance but on manston's other hand he reached a pit midway between the waterfall and the engine-house there he stopped wiped his face and listened into this pit had drifted uncounted generations of withered leaves half filling it oak beech and chestnut rotten and brown alike mingled themselves in one fibrous mass manston descended into the midst of them placed his sack on the ground and raking the leaves aside into a large heap began digging anne softly drew nearer crept into a bush and turning her head to survey the rest missed the man who had dropped behind and whom we have called the first watcher concluding that he too had hidden himself she turned her attention to the second watcher the other woman who had meanwhile advanced near to where anne lay in hiding and now seated herself behind a tree still closer to the steward than was anne seaway here and thus anne remained concealed the crunch of the steward's spade as it cut into the soft vegetable mould was plainly perceptible to her ears when the periodic cessations between the creaks of the engine concurred with a lull in the breeze which otherwise brought the subdued roar of the cascade from the further side of the bank that screened it a large hole some four or five feet deep had been excavated by manston in about twenty minutes into this he immediately placed the sack and then began filling in the earth and treading it down lastly he carefully raked the whole mass of dead and dry leaves into the middle of the pit burying the ground with them as they had buried it before for hiding-place the spot was unequalled the thick accumulation of leaves which had not been disturbed for centuries might not be disturbed again for centuries to come whilst their lower layers still decayed and added to the mould beneath by the time this work was ended the sky had grown clearer and anne could now see distinctly the face of the other woman stretching from behind the tree seemingly forgetful of her position in her intense contemplation of the actions of the steward her countenance was white and motionless it was impossible that manston should not soon notice her at the completion of his labour he turned and did so ho you here he exclaimed don't think i am a spy upon you she said in an imploring whisper anne recognised the voice as miss aldercliffe's the trembling lady added hastily another remark which was drowned in the recurring creak of the engine close at hand the first watcher if he had come no nearer than his original position was too far off to hear any part of this dialogue 
on account of the roar of the falling water which could reach him unimpeded by the bank the remark of miss aldercliffe to manston had plainly been concerning the first watcher for manston with his spade in his hand instantly rushed to where the man was concealed and before the latter could disengage himself from the bows the steward struck him on the head with the blade of the instrument the man fell to the ground fly said miss aldercliffe to manston manston vanished amidst the trees miss aldercliffe went off in a contrary direction and seaway was about to run away likewise when she turned and looked at the fallen man he lay on his face motionless many of these women who own to no moral code show considerable magnanimity when they see people in trouble to act right simply because it is one's duty is proper but a good action which is the result of no law of reflection shines more than any she went up to him and gently turned him over upon which he began to show signs of life by her assistance he was soon able to stand upright he looked about him with a bewildered air endeavouring to collect his ideas who are you he said to the woman mechanically it was bad policy now to attempt disguise i am the supposed mrs manston she said who are you i am the officer employed by mr rowham to sift this mystery which may be criminal he stretched his limbs pressed his head and seemed gradually to awake to a sense of having been incautious in his utterance never you mind who i am he continued well it doesn't matter now either it will no longer be a secret he stooped for his hat and ran in the direction the steward had taken coming back again after the lapse of a minute it's only an aggravated assault after all he said hastily until we have found out for certain what's buried here it may be only a bag of building rubbish but it may be more come and help me dig he seized the spade with the awkwardness of a town man and went into the pit continuing a muttered discourse it's no use my running after him single-handed he said he's ever so far off by this time the best step is to see what is here it was far easier for the detective to reopen the hole than it had been for manston to form it the leaves were raked away the loam thrown out and the sack dragged forth hold this he said to anne whose curiosity still kept her standing near he turned on the light of a dark lantern he had brought and gave it into her hand the string which bound the mouth of the sack was now cut the officer laid the bag on its side seized it by the bottom and jerked forth the contents a large package was disclosed carefully wrapped up in impervious tarpaulin also well tied he was on the point of pulling open the folds at one end when a light-coloured thread of something hanging on the outside arrested his eye he put his hand upon it it felt stringy and adhered to his fingers hold the light close he said she held it close he raised his hand to the glass and they both peered at an almost intangible filament he held between his finger and thumb it was a long hair the hair of a woman 
god i couldn't believe it no i couldn't believe it the detective whispered horror-struck and i have lost the man for the present through my unbelief let's get into a sheltered place now wait a minute whilst i prove it he thrust his hand into his waistcoat pocket and withdrew thence a minute packet of brown paper spreading it out he disclosed coiled in the middle another long hair it was the hair the clerk's wife had found on manston's pillow nine days before the carriford fire he held the two hairs to the light they were both of a pale brown hue he laid them parallel and stretched out his arms they were of the same length to a nicety the detective turned to anne it is the body of his first wife he said quietly he murdered her as mr springrove and the rector suspected but how and when god only knows and i exclaimed anne seaway a probable and natural sequence of events and motives explanatory of the whole crime events and motives shadowed forth by the letter manston's possession of it his renunciation of cytheria and installment of herself flashing upon her mind with the rapidity of lightning ah i see said the detective standing unusually close to her and a handcuff was on her wrist you must come with me madam knowing as much about a secret murder as god knows it's a very suspicious thing it doesn't make you a goddess far from it he directed the bull's eye into her face pull lead on she said scornfully and don't lose your principal actor for the sake of torturing a poor subordinate like me he loosened her hand gave her his arm and dragged her out of the grove making her run beside him till they had reached the rectory a light was burning here and an auxiliary of the detectives awaiting him a horse ready harnessed to a spring cart was standing outside you have come i wish i had known that the detective said to his assistant hurriedly and angrily well we've blundered he's gone you should have been here as i said i was sold by that woman miss aldercliffe she watched me he hastily gave directions in an undertone to this man the concluding words were go into the rector he's up detain miss aldercliffe i in the meantime am driving to casterbridge with this one and for help we shall be sure to have him when it gets light he assisted anne into the vehicle and drove off with her as they went the clear dry road showed before them between the grassy quarters at each side like a white ribbon and made their progress easy they came to a spot where the highway was overhung by dense firs for some distance on both sides it was totally dark here there was a smash and a rude shock in the very midst of its length at the point where the road began to drop down a hill the detective drove against something with a jerk which nearly flung them both to the ground the man recovered himself placed and on the seat and reached out his hand he found that the off-wheel of his gig was locked in that of another conveyance of some kind hoy said the officer nobody answered hoy 
you men asleep there he said again no reply well that's odd this comes of the folly of travelling without gig lamps because you expect the dawn he jumped to the ground and turned on his lantern there was the gig which had obstructed him standing in the middle of the road a jaded horse harnessed to it but no human being in or near the vehicle do you know whose gig this is he said to the woman no she said sullenly but she did recognize it as the steward's i'll swear it's manston's come i can hear it by your tone however you needn't say anything which may criminate you what forethought the man must have had how carefully he must have considered possible contingencies why he must have got the horse and gig ready before he began shifting the body he listened for a sound among the trees none was to be heard but the occasional scamper of a rabbit over the withered leaves he threw the light of his lantern through a gap in the hedge but could see nothing beyond an impenetrable thicket he was clear that manston was not many yards off but the question was how to find him nothing could be done by the detective just then encumbered as he was by the horse and anne if he had entered the thicket on a search unaided manston might have stepped unobserved from behind a bush and murdered him with the greatest ease indeed there were such strong reasons for the exploit in manston's circumstances at that moment that without showing cowardice his pursuer felt it hazardous to remain any longer where he stood he hastily tied the head of manston's horse to the back of his own vehicle that the steward might be deprived of the use of any means of escape other than his own legs and drove on thus with his prisoner to the county town arrived there he lodged her in the police station and then took immediate steps for the capture of manston end of chapter nineteen part two recording by shi ping ning